Good morning. Welcome to Generations Church. Jess, thank you. That was beautiful. Way to go. All right. Wasn't that good? Hallelujah. We have so much talent in this church. I'm telling you what, it's such a blessing just discovering it and, and letting them bless you. Hallelujah. Praise God. It's good to see everybody today. Welcome to Generations. If uh, you're one of our guests today, if this is your very first time to ever be with us, we want to say a big special thank you for joining us this morning. And uh, amen. Come in and being with us. We just want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the presence of God. We believe God is here in this place, and, uh, and uh, we, we want you to come back as often as you possibly can. Amen? And before you leave, if, if you do get a chance, go to our North Foyer. There's a welcome center out there. Go and let them know, hey, it's my very first time. We just want to get to know you, get to meet you, and give you some information about the church. Anything, any questions you might have, we can answer those, uh, and that'll be great. All right, good to see everybody today. Wow. Hey, the place looks kind of pretty today. It's starting to look a lot like Christmas. Amen. I want to thank everybody who came out yesterday and helped us deck the halls of the church. We had a great, great crew that came out, had a great time, and, and between the hanging the ornaments and eating donuts, we got it done. It was fun. It, you guys did awesome. It looks really, really beautiful. This is a big week, of course. Pastor, you want to come on up and tell us some of the things that are happening this week? Of course, we got Thanksgiving coming up. Everybody, hope everybody's got their turkey thawing. You know, it's like five pounds per day. You have to, you, have to, you need a day for every five pounds of your turkey, I heard. So if it's not uh, in the fridge, get it in the fridge now. So. And don't forget the dressing. Amen. 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 That's important the stuff. The dressing and the cranberry sauce. And the cornbread and the black-eyed peas and the potato salad and the Preach it. sweet potato Preach pie. It. Come on. Come on. All right. Hallelujah. I, th- I think we're excited. God we're excited is good about all the time. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Oh, all right. Well, I, I, I uh, had mentioned to, to uh, Pastor Scott, give me just a second to just mention to you, this coming week, of course, the schedule changes here. Uh, Wednesday, we normally have service, but of course, we're changing it to Tuesday this week because of the Thanksgiving schedule. And um, uh, of course, it's in your bulletin there. Um, but Tuesday, I really encourage everybody to come. It's just one hour, and what we're going to do is have a, we'll have a, a, a Thanksgiving devotional. I'll be sharing just a short devotional, and then what I'm going to ask you to do is write down any prayer needs you have. If you have a prayer request, some prayer need that you have, if you would write it down and bring it with you, bring it on a piece of paper and bring it with you, and uh, we're going we're gonna to spend some time. We're going to pray over those needs. We'll pray, you know, over those, um, you know, um, if it's private or whatever. I'm not going to open them up and, you know, be public with them. But we'll pray over those needs. And uh, we'll have a short prayer time. And then we're going to break and have, um, I think, Sister Ernie, uh, our hospitality team, is going to prepare some Thanksgiving refreshments for us. So uh, it'll all be over in about an hour. It's a short time. But it'll be a great time for all, all the church family to get together and just enjoy each other before Thanksgiving, okay? So we just want you, everybody to come. And, you know, um, I, as I'm, I'm leaving, praise the Lord. I wanna make, I'm going to make plenty of time for the, ser- for the sermon, for the message today. But, um, you know, your bulletin is really full of some great activities. I really encourage you, read your bulletin and see all of the activities that are going on and get involved 
uh, there's some places that you, maybe perhaps you could use some of your gifts and talents, you know, to be a real blessing to other people. Uh, I was thinking that the Rayford Hope uh, area there is, you know, it's very specialized, something that maybe you could do, you know, etc., uh, etc. Et and then uh, just a lot of things that are happening. So be sure that everybody reads your bulletin. If you don't have one as you're leaving, ask one of the ushers and they'll get you one. Amen. Praise God. Right. But happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And the Christmas, man, it's just beautiful decorations. I just, uh, I'm ready for the season. Hallelujah. <laughs> all right. God bless you. We love you. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. So that's all happening Tuesday night, just to remind you. Tuesday night, and then no service on Wednesday. We're not having service. Um, be praying for our teens. Our youth is going to be going to Montrose to do a, uh, an awesome ministry, the candlelight dinner on Montrose for the homeless that are there on Wednesday night. They're going to be doing that. So keep them in your prayers. Uh, going to be a blessing to our city. That is awesome. And Melissa, you've got something you want to talk about, but you don't have a mic. There we go. Oh, no, a slightly off script, but Sorry. as we pointed out, our bulletin is full of misinformation. Uh-oh. Normally, <laughs> normally not misinformation, but under Rayford Hope, to speak of Rayford Hope, it says we're meeting Friday, November 27th, day after Thanksgiving. No, 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 we're not. We're not. Um, that was a date that we had, but it turns out for Thanksgiving, uh, the lady that runs it, uh, what we do, which is food distribution to apartments, mm -hmm. which is awesome, um, changes it for Thanksgiving. So the next date, if you want to write it on your calendar, is Thursday, December 11th. December so if, if you would like to come out on Thursday, December 11th, mm -hmm. um, we're here at 7.30. What we do is we take all this delicious, wonderful food that's donated, we package it into grocery bags packed to the brim, fruits, vegetables, breads, a pie, just awesome stuff, meats, chicken, beef. And we go and we give it out to the people at a local apartment complex, and we pray for them. And I mean, they are ready to pray. They're pray and mm -hmm. we're already seeing prayer requests coming to pass. A lady praying for a job for weeks and weeks just got a job this past week. And she's Hallelujah. so thankful to the Lord for it. And so it's not just food, it's love, and it's miracles. So Thursday, December awesome. 11th, if you want to join and us. And men and women, y'all need both to help pack, because those are some heavy crates and stuff, right? Here's the deal. We pick up about 3,000 <laughs> pounds of food, and we're carrying yeah, no them lie. in big yellow crates. And so, yes, there's a lot of things to be done. So, so. men and women, yeah. it's awesome. Fridays. It's Friday. Friday the 11th. Here's the deal with me. <laughs> Don't listen to what I say. Listen to what, uh, yes. Friday morning, December 11th. If you come on Thursday, it's fine, but we won't be there. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. Does anybody else have an announcement? They just want to let everybody know what's going on, you know. Sorry. So, okay. Um, hey, also, don't forget... This coming Sunday, next Sunday, seven days from now, is All Generation Sunday. So it's going to be super fun. We always have a great time, All Generation Sunday. Our kids will be in here with us. We're going to have some awesome worship. Mel and I will be up here tag teaming, giving you an awesome word, and it'll be something that your kids will love. And it's a great way to just worship God as a family. The whole family get together, and your kids get to experience big church. And we make it fun for them so they don't think, this is boring. No, they, they love it, okay? So it's great. Next Sunday after Thanksgiving. Wonderful. Okay. Well, how are you guys doing? All right, all right. Let's start off in prayer. I think that's a, a great way 
to uh, just get in the right frame of mind with things. Hallelujah. Father God, we love you so much. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy that's here today, Father. I thank you, Lord, for your love and care on every single person in this room. You care so much about us, Father God, and you care enough to want to save us and then use us, Father God, for your kingdom. We thank you for that, Lord. And you care about all those issues that are going on in our life and that thing and that other thing that we're kind of stressed about. You care about that stuff, and you you invite us to bring it in here, bring it in and lay it at the cross and then receive from you. And so, Father God, we are here today. Give us open hearts, open ears, Father God, so that we can receive what you have for us. Help us to let go of all the junk that we carried up, we carried in here. And so we can, we can let you put something else in our hands, something miraculous. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen, amen. Okay, well, we're in our series. We're smack dab in the middle of our series, Relentless Joy, uh, the promise of Philippians. And uh, this is going to carry us probably right on through to the end of the year, the way we're going. But uh, it's, I've had a great time with this. And we're in chapter four now. If you want to kind of get ahead and, and have your Bibles ready, you can do that. Uh, last week, I had a really great week. Last week was really cool. My wife and I had a chance to kind of sneak out of town for a couple of days and go, we went to a conference and, but you know, anytime, even if you're going to a conference or meetings or something like that, anytime you get out of town, it's kind of nice, right? You kind of, it's like, it kind of clears your head. It's just nice to, you know, stop seeing the same trees and the same streets and you get out and you kind of, oh, oh yeah, there's a world out here. And so it was nice. We, we took a couple of days and it was a, it was a little minister's conference that we went to and went to just, you know, be fed and, and to be, to really, you know, learn how to be good leaders and how to have a great church and all this kind of stuff. And it was, we were so excited about it. Went to this conference, got there, uh, Monday night, we got in our room and then, cause it started early Tuesday morning. And so Tuesday morning we get up to go to, and it's going to be a full day full of these workshops and all this, and uh, lots of pastors, and uh, y- y- you know, you know, it's going to be kind of weird because you know pastors are weird, so you get a whole room of like two or three hundred of these pastors together, it's just going to get weird, and so uh, you know, I- I'm a little, I'm excited about it, I'm a little nervous about it, but uh, but we're look, I- we're in the hotel room, we're getting ready that morning, and I don't know, some of you who are my close friends, you know that I, uh, not to brag, but I'm kind of an uh, uh, an expert, a kind of a, 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 a aficionado, aficionado, whatever that word is, um, on breakfast tacos. Um, I, I, not to brag, but I'm kind of a big deal about breakfast tacos. Um, so anyway, yeah, so I love a good breakfast taco. I love a good breakfast taco. So I'm, we're in the hotel room. And we're getting, she's getting ready. You know, she's getting all pretty. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm on my phone, and I'm looking, where's good breakfast tacos? And I find out real close is this place that has supposed to have really great breakfast tacos. And, uh, you know, like the stars, the Yelp stars were off the charts. And so, oh, I'm so excited. I got to go. I, we we got to go by. We got to leave in time so I can go by and get these, get some breakfast tacos. And she's, and, and Mel's going, you know, we really need to do that. They're going to have breakfast there at the place. They're going to have breakfast there. It's, it's, it's supplied, you know, so you were supposed to get there on time. And then we're supposed to eat the breakfast they provided with the pastors and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, but, you know. Okay, how many of you have ever been to any kind of conference, convention, whatever you know? What's the breakfast? Cantaloupe. <laughs> am I right? Some kind of really hard muffin that you don't buy. You never buy these for yourself at home, but you go to a conference and they think everybody wants a bran muffin and cantaloupe. And I'm like, you know, come on. B- Big Daddy needs some breakfast tacos. This is going to be a long day. I do not want to start my day off like this. And she's telling me, no, we don't need to do this. Let's just... Let's just get on there, and you know. And I'm like, no, you know, I'm being a big baby about it. No, I want my breakfast tacos. You know, give me some eggs, bacon, cheese, 
potato, migas, whatever it is. Anyway, so, you know, I, I put my foot down, <laughs> which I, I don't do very often, because she steps on it when I do that, but I said, we're, we're going to go to some breakfast tacos. We, we just got to do this. I, so we get, in the, we get in the car. I make her leave a little bit early we, to, and so we can get there in time. We go to this place. We drive up. Drive up. There it is. I'm excited. I'm jumping out, and I say, what kind of breakfast tacos do you want? She's like, I don't want any. I don't know if she really didn't want to hear. It was just the principle of the thing. She's like, no. I'm like, all right, be that way. So, you know, so there's already, here we are. We're on this, like, vacation type of thing. And also we're going to this, like, really deep spiritual conference with preachers. It's supposed to be peaceful and joy and power and all this. Holy Spirit's going to fall. And we're, we're starting off with this, like, tiff, right? There's, like, tension already. It's not the way you're supposed to start. Anyway. I don't care. I'm going inside. I order my, yeah, I, I want this, and I got it in a bag. I get, jump in the car, and I'm like, mm, don't these smell good? Don't these smell good? Oh, I'm so glad I got me some breakfast tacos. She's like, we shouldn't have done this. Anyway, so we go, to the, we go to the place. It's right around the corner. We get out. There's all these pastors walking in. You could tell it's a pastor's conference because, like, half of them, you know, are in khakis and a blue shirt, and half of them are in the skinny jeans and checkered shirts. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm... This, this pastor's like only dressed two ways. Um, so like, All right, here we go. And so we get out of the car, and she's like, you're going to take that in? I was like, yeah. Yeah, I'm not ashamed, right? I'm gonna, I'm, I mean, they're going to look at me and go, hey, there's a guy that blazes his own trail, right? That, that pastor, look at him. He's not one of the sheeple here eating cantaloupe. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not ashamed, man. You know, I'm going to proudly walk in with my bag of breakfast tacos. She's just shaking her head. We walk in, register, get our little name tags and everything, so make sure everybody knows who I am because I'm so cool with my bag of breakfast tacos. We walk in the room where everybody's, they're all, you know, standing around, visiting with each other, eating this breakfast they provided. Walk up to the table. What is all over this table but every variety of breakfast taco <laughs> you can imagine? Every type. Like delicious fruits like I had never heard of. Like amazing coffees and juices and these sauces and like salsas and these beautiful. And, and so suddenly, I'm not like the trailblazer who brought his own breakfast tacos. I'm just the schmuck who, or, who bought, who paid money for them instead of coming. So she was very kind. She didn't say anything, but I know inside she was going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I learned two things. I learned two things, yes, last week. Aside from all the wonderful things I learned at the pastor's conference, but I learned two things from that morning. Number one, men, listen to your wife. She's smart. She's prophetic. She, I think they know the future. I don't know what it is, but listen to your wife. She's brilliant. And then the number two thing that I learned, it became very obvious in this morning as I was, you know, sheepishly saying you were right, um, is that, even at something as peaceful and spiritual, you know, as a, as a little get-out-of-town minister's conference, you know, where you're supposed to be fed and the Holy Spirit's going to be there, strife and conflict can be right there to ruin your entire day. It is right there. It doesn't matter if it's just a Monday and you got to go to work or if you're out of town, like, with, with no kids. We had no kids. <laughs> for like two whole days. It was amazing, right? It doesn't matter. Strife and conflict, right? 
there. And it's, it's going to be a big surprise to some of you, but the church is not an area where your life is immune to conflict with other people. <laughs> right? Um, can I get an amen? Yeah. I even heard someone, someone say once, gosh, church would be fantastic if it weren't for people. How many would admit to have ever thought that? You thought that to yourself. Church would be fantastic if it weren't for people. Um, well, that's what we're going we're gonna to kind of be touching on today. This morning, we're in chapter 4 of Philippians. And we're just going to hit two verses. But there's so much in here, and there's so much that I feel like God wants to share with us. This is a letter. Philippians, if you're, if you're new with us this morning, uh, it's a letter from Paul to the church in the city of Philippi. It's a Roman city 2,000 years ago. And it's written while Paul is sitting in prison. He's chained between two Roman guards, and we're discovering that if Paul, in this horrible predicament, can stay in an attitude of relentless joy, then surely we can learn the secret to that too. There's got to be a secret to it. Now, if you've been with us till now, he's been talking about some really big themes, right? Big, wonderful things. Now he's about to shift gears big time here in verse 2 of chapter for Philippians. Suddenly he switches from these big ideas that he's, he's been preaching to the world to some very personal matters at hand. So let's look at verse 2. He suddenly says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now this is kind of a jarring turn in the letter right? It'd be like watching the president doing the State of the Union address, and he's doing all those big things, and America this, and we're, you know, bright future of the horizon of our posterity and freedom, yeah, 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 yeah. And then, all of a sudden, he says, and, and Larry, you borrowed my lawnmower last year, and I want that back. Everybody'd be like, stinks to be Larry. Um, so what's happening here? These are two women in this church of Philippi, and he's specifically calling them out. An interesting something-something here, uh, the words, uh, their names. Eudea means success. Syntyche means lucky. Success and lucky. So these are, are pagan names. We would say they are pagan names. They're not, in other words, they're not uh, from a Jewish home. They're not Jewish converts to Christianity. They grew up in pagan homes. Uh, they were given these Greek names to reflect the gods of success and luck. And now they're Christians in this church of Philippi. And Paul takes the time in the midst of these huge ideas he's sharing about Christ. You know, this is valuable real estate, the Bible is. You know, you don't just waste a lot of words here. And he takes the time to stop and say, now you two. Euodia and Syntyche, you two, there's some conflict going on between you, right? And I beg you, Lucky, I beg you, success, to work this thing out. Be of the same mind. Now, that word same mind, guess what that is? It's our, it's our new favorite phrase, phronesis. Here he says it again, phronesis. The phronesis is a call, it's the call to adopt a new Christ-centered a pattern, a Christ-centered worldview, a pattern of, of thinking, feeling, and acting like Christ. Let's look at verse 3. He says, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, hmm, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So when I was with you ladies, back when I was in Philippi, I was with you, we were all proclaiming to the world this gospel that in the resurrection that God is reclaiming and restoring and resurrecting and renewing all of creation. You two women, he's saying, were right there beside us proclaiming this message. Y'all were right there 
on the front lines. And notice these two women. Paul considers them co-workers to him, his partners in the gospel, part of that inner circle of leadership. These aren't just people on the sidelines, not really involved in anything. But now something has gone on between the two of them. And Paul says, you need to work on it. And the rest of you help them. Interesting. He does something really tantalizing here in verse 3, if you notice. He says, and I ask you, my true companion, (laughs) to help these women. Now, this is kind of strange. Whenever there's a reference in Scripture, but you're not given much detail about it, biblical scholars who have a lot more time on their hands than I do just go crazy right? They love this stuff. There's all sorts of commentaries about who is this true companion. This is like the, you know, mystery shooter puzzle of the Philippines. Uh, uh, Philippines. Philippines. Philippians. <laughs> who is this true companion, right? Some say it's Luke, because the, Luke and Paul were close friends, and there's evidence from Acts that Luke may have spent some time in Philippi. Um, some say it's Epaphroditus, if you remember from uh, a couple of chapters ago, Epaphroditus is the uh, Philippian who risked his life and almost died to come see Paul there in prison to be with him. And he's likely going to be the one to take this letter back to the church, so he would be a natural, maybe he's the true companion. He might even be the one dictating this because, you know, Paul's chained up. So that's a possibility. Some people say it might be one of the women's husbands. Uh, that he's referring to. Some have even like really gone out there and said, hey, maybe this is like Paul's wife. Like he went through Philippi and like fell in love and got married. That's not likely because he says several times in the scriptures that he wasn't married, that he was single. Um, And some, and this is interesting, some have even suggested that true companion is actually a name. Actually a name, like, hi, I'm Mr. Companion. Call me true, right? (laughs) True companion, like Larry. Um, Now, this idea really isn't that far-fetched, considering how they named people back then. You know, so you had names like True Companion or Success or Lucky or Dances with Wolves or whatever it is. So you had these kind of, they they named their kids this kind of stuff. The point is, and there's there's no real point, I just love a good mystery. So anyway. (laughs) Now, let's put ourselves in, in these two ladies' place. This had to be super fun for these two ladies, When Paul calls them out by name, remember this letter would have been read in community for all the church to hear at once. That's how it was done. That's not awkward at all, right? And word had probably spread that morning, hey, they're going to read the letter from Paul this morning. So I'm guessing it was packed, packed out off the chart, standing room only in the church that morning, right? Everybody's there. And Syntyche and, and, you know, Success and Lucky, they're, they're listening. They're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, and then Syntyche and Lucky, you know, this thing I know you're, you've got going on between you. Uh, you know, you can imagine she's probably, I'm going to go get some, everybody some coffee. Anybody want anything? I'm gonna, I'll be right back. So, you know, this very awkward moment, they'd be crowded together hearing Paul talking about uh, pressing on, straining forward, winning the prize. And all of a sudden, Paul says, you two, come on, you guys were by my side preaching the gospel. You guys were with me telling people how God is putting back together everything that is broken. And now there's something broken between you. It's a shocker, I know, to think that in church there could be conflict between people. That just doesn't happen today, right? Sure it does. Of course it does. It happens all the time, right? Because we're people, right? We're not angels. We're people. So, of course, there's conflict. Even 
two good people. Sometimes we think of, well, conflict happens between people in church is because one of them's like some really evil person that came through the door. No, two good people going to a good church, both loving Jesus, right? Both, as Paul puts it, contending for the cause of the gospel, going to a strong church. Even then, we can allow strife and division to enter the picture. Sometimes, church would be a more peaceful place without people. But that's what church is. See, church is people. That's, that's, that's what it is. It is not a building. Church is not a, a philosophy or a slogan or a, or a religion. It is people. It's a community of folks gathered from different backgrounds, different perspectives, different generations, gathered together, coming together to contend for a common gospel. That's what we are doing here, right? And in the first century, see, we don't even know, realize what it was like for them. In the first century, the way they were doing church was even more scandalous than we can imagine. Because here you had this movement that would dare to welcome into fellowship people of vastly different classes and status. That was a really big deal to them, right? So you had in the same church coming together free citizens and slaves. That wasn't done. Men and women. That wasn't done. Right? The foreigner. Jews and Gentiles under the same roof, in the same room. Bankers, prostitutes, tax collectors, soldiers, fishermen, all together, coming together because their, their very souls had been radically reborn in, by this Jesus revolution. That's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. So, so yeah, it's not hard to imagine that there'd be some challenges There's trouble in paradise here in the church of Philippi. And Paul feels like it is worth his time to address it personally. Now, I want us to notice a couple of things. Let's notice what Paul doesn't do, because I think this will be helpful to us. What doesn't he do? Number one, he doesn't take sides. He doesn't say, Syntyche, what are you smoking? You know, he he doesn't take sides. There's a lot for us to let that sink in about second thing he does not say they aren't justified he doesn't say ladies come on ladies y'all are making a big deal over nothing he doesn't call them troublemakers he doesn't say it's not a big deal it probably was a big deal for news to have reached him a thousand miles away in prison it might have been a big deal he doesn't say they have to agree Notice he doesn't even tell them that they got to be friends, right? He doesn't impose some kind of false kumbaya thing on them. He's not telling them, you know, look, ladies, hey, we got to make this look good, so just put on your game face, smile for two hours a week, like everything's fine. No, no, no. There's no artifice here, right? He's, He's not just sweeping the truth under the rug. There's none of that. What he says, what he says is have the same mind. Have the same phronesis, this worldview, this pattern of thinking, feeling, and acting in Christ. That's what he tells them. Have the same mind, thinking, feeling, and acting in Christ. The two of you, think about this junk that's between you through the lens of Christ. Now, I would say that's probably pretty pertinent to a lot of us today. We need to think through the junk that we have with this other person through the lens 
of Christ. And then he, look what he says, the rest of you, all of you others in the church, help them, help them sort through what this Christ pattern of thinking, feeling, acting might look like. Help them, right? Not everybody take sides and let's go to war and see who wins. Doesn't say that, but rather the rest of you, help them walk through this. Be a blessing to them, right? This really echoes what he said way back in chapter two, when he said, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He uses phronesis twice in one sentence. Being like-minded, same love, one in spirit and of one mind. See, for Paul, unity matters. Unity matters. How, how God's family lives together and does life together matters. And even though we come from different backgrounds and different generations and different politics and different religions, we come together. When Christ comes into our, our hearts, we are now in Christ. And, and that is to be the model to the world of what God wants to do for people and how God wants to do it and who God can use when he changes their hearts and gathers them together under one roof. Amen? I'm going to say that again. We, in Christ, are the model to the world of what God wants to do for people, how God wants to do it, and how God wants to do it, and who God can use when he changes their hearts and he gathers them together under one roof. God says over and over that this world would see how his people his people who don't look anything alike, right? None of us in here look alike. None of us come from the same background. None of us have the same story. And God says the world is going to see how we, his people, come together in love and unity, and, and that will play a powerful role in winning the hearts of the lost and the desperate. See, our unity will play a role in winning the hearts of the lost and desperate. Do you... Do you is, I want that to sink in a second. So I'm going to say that again. Our unity plays a huge role in winning the hearts of the lost and desperate. Not just our words, not just knocking on the door and telling me about Jesus and all that kind of stuff and me standing up here preaching. Our unity is a huge part of winning the hearts of the lost and the desperate. It has an effect on the gospel itself, okay? It, look what it says in Psalm 133. He says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people, that word literally means a family of brothers and sisters, family of brothers and sisters, live together in unity. So unity matters to Paul because it matters to God, okay? God loves unity. He loves unity, and he hates divisive behavior. Proverbs, let's look at some of the ancient wisdom here of the Proverbs. This was true 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. It'll be true thousands of years from now. Proverbs 6.16 says, These are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, that means being snobbish. Uh, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil. All these are pretty bad things, right? A false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. It's that word of brothers and sisters again. It's right there. Seven things that are detestable to him. A person who stirs up conflict in the community. John 17 says this. My prayer, this is Jesus praying to God. 
He said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I, as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And in verse 22, he goes on, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete, what? Unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. How is the world going to know? They're going to see their unity. They're going to see their unity. Unity is one of the most important and neglected issues on the heart of God regarding his church. See, when I read this plea from Paul, when I see him taking time out of these grand ideas that he's been talking about, and he, he stops to, to say this. It fills me with hope. It really does. Because this is, I see that this is a picture, the Philippians, this is a picture not filled with perfect people because there's no such thing. It's not a church filled with perfect people. This is a picture of a church that is living in authentic relationship with each other. Do we get that, right? Do you get it? A church who cares enough about its own to even walk into those awkward, messy, tension-filled situations. The church is, a church of authentic relationships cares enough about its own to even walk into messy, awkward, tension-filled situations. Anybody say amen? amen? Amen. For Paul, see, everything's connected. Everything's connected. What happens between these two ladies matters. So you two, Miss Lucky, Miss Success, this thing between y'all, it's not an isolated event happening in a vacuum. It's affecting those around you. It's even affecting me back here in Rome, a thousand miles away. There's some disunity happening, and it has to be addressed before it infects the church like a cancer. That's what Paul says. Unity matters. Unity matters because we're all connected. Can we gossip about each other and it not affect our relationships? can't happen. Can I hear some half story about you that maybe doesn't put you in the best light, some fragment, and go tell it to other people and think it's not going to affect our relationship? Can I mock you in front of a group of people to be the funny guy and, and tell a story about you maybe that kind of makes you look like an idiot? Repeat something you told me in confidence, get all the laughs, from people and not think that our relationship is going to suffer? No. Can I have deep hatred? Can I have envy, be filled with envy and jealousy, jealousy for you deep in my heart and not think that that is going to affect us when we interact? Do we really think that? Do we really think it has no effect on this? Do we really think we can be one way with a person and be kind and on our best behavior and polite and when they turn their back, just rip them to shreds do we really think that things aren't connected, that our words and our actions are just sort of like disjointed fragments without any consequences? Do we really think that those words won't deeply affect everything? Proverbs, more wisdom, says, whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. In chapter 10, he says, the poet says, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Here's the deal. 
every day, you and I are going to be given these chunks of gossip, of slander, these little half stories. We're going to be given these things about people. Did you hear about so-and-so? No, I didn't. Please tell me more so I can pray more effectively. Okay? Mm. Okay? We're going to be, we're going to be given this. Someone's going to spew venom on us, and we're going to be given a choice. The temptation is to let that venom flow through us and onto other people. Right? But when we adopt a Christ pattern of thinking, feeling, acting, a new phronesis, when we adopt this Christ pattern of thinking, feeling, acting, the only thing that flows out of us is the love that Christ has put inside us. And so these verses remind us that love simply does not repeat certain things. Because the first casualty of gossip is relationship. The first casualty of gossip is relationship. And it's all about relationship. The church, this church right here, it exists. It, it exists. It's on, this, it's on this property. It exists. God planted it to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. And, and we believe that this happens best when, when you're growing in relationship with other Christians, right? And then we, we also believe that that overflows as you reach out in relationship to the world outside our doors, right? Outreach, upreach, inreach. This, it's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. And the first thing to die when you choose to gossip is, is your relationships. When you choose to gossip instead of zealously protecting your unity, our unity. That should be what we zealously protect. So the best question, a great question for you to ask, when you're handed these chunks, when you're handed that, is ask yourself, does love repeat this? Does love repeat this? I just got handed this thing, this really juicy piece of news. So does love repeat this? Or does love drop it like a piece of scubula? Hmm. Sometimes love says, that's interesting, I am not going to repeat that. Or better yet, love goes a step further and says, I'm going to go be a blessing in that situation and a healing voice between those people. I'm, whatever I can do. What Paul understands is this small little quarrel, whatever it is between two people, it's important. It matters because we all suffer when their relationship suffers. We all suffer. When you and that other person here, when your relationship is suffering, we're all suffering from that, right? Your, your strife is deadly to everybody around you because we're all connected. We're all connected. Now, uh, over in Titus, I wanna, I wanna look at this scripture. Paul describes a, a divisive person. I wanna talk about the divisive person just a little bit. Um, the divisive person. This is important to us. He says this. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time, right? Because we're nice, we're people of grace. After that, have nothing to do with them. <laughs> you may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Notice it doesn't say we don't love them anymore. But after the, after the third time, we... We don't have anything to do with them because we're going to value the unity of the body, right? Now, when Paul talks about a divisive person, I want to talk a little bit about what he's not talking about. 
He's, he's not speaking of somebody who's searching for truth, someone who comes through our doors just wrestling with the tension of this whole new Jesus thing, right? We want that. Someone comes through the doors and they're brand new and they want to know, what is this Jesus thing? And I don't understand, why does God say that? What, what is this all about? No, that's good. That's not a divisive person. That's a seeker, right? We want that. There, there, there's some mystery out there they're trying to wrap their mind around. What he's talking about here is a person whose heart is bent in a disturbing, divisive way. He's actually talking about a sin issue, okay? It's a sin issue. Here's something else he's not talking about. He's not talking about uh, those, the tension that exists when, when two people, both seeking after Christ, are both wrestling with an issue, and maybe they're leaning towards different solutions. We all encounter that, right? Because we're not robots. We don't all think alike, right? We're not, we all encounter that. So, so there might be some hot-button issue today, right? And you bring up Facebook, and you see your friends talking about these really hot-button issues right now. And, and we might all be wrestling with these issues. And we're all trying to ask ourselves, what is the Jesus-y way for the church to respond to this? That's my word. It's trademarked. You can use it. Jesus-y. <laughs> What is the Jesus-y way for the church to respond to this issue that is out there? And you know what? You and I might honestly and with humility lean two different ways. We might arrive at two different ways best to live out our conviction, right? But you know what? We can agree to disagree about that, and we can keep walking in unity because we're both in Christ, this is going to blow some of your minds this morning, right? And some of you are just going to disagree with me, but that's okay. Uh, we've, seen, we've seen this demonstrated so beautifully in our small group. So like, like in, our, in our deeper class or in our 20, 30 small groups, we, we might have in the room two very different perspectives or ways of living out our faith, ways of living out our conviction. And you know what? Both voices are valued and loved and appreciated because it's like the rule we make a rule in the beginning of class hey we're going to love respect and value everyone right it's just the way it is it's the way we're going to be and and we can hear each other and we can learn from each other and there's no sacrifice to our unity because we're committed we're committed to being in authentic fellowship with each other to being authentic walking in grace and walking in truth Walking in grace and truth, those are the two parts of being people of love. We want to walk in love, right? You've heard that? You, anybody? You can talk back. <laughs> Don't lose you. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. All right. We want to walk in love. Well, what does that mean? It means walking in grace and truth. Jesus said this. I didn't make this up, by the way. Jesus said he, the Bible says that he, would, he walked in grace and truth. Grace and truth. You see the differences of those two things? They're both important, and just having one is, is distorted. It's wrong. So grace and truth are like two hemispheres of planet love, and that's where we want to live, right? Grace and truth. So we, we can walk at that, right? Listen, this is going to be a mind blower to some of you. We may not agree on every detail, right? But we don't have to lose our unity. What? This is important. Listen, unity isn't based on agreeing with each other's opinions. It's based on Christ. Right? It's both of us following after the same Christ. So we may have a different opinion. That has nothing to do with our unity. 
Unity is the fruit of mutual submission. We are called to live mutually submitted. That's, you got, you got a, you're, everybody's living in mutual submission. You've got a room full of people who are being humble with each other. Mutually submitting to each other? That's not seen in the world. It doesn't happen out there. It's supernatural. You need the Holy Spirit, okay? But that's what we're called to do. And unity is the fruit of that when we're being mutually submitted to each other. Sometimes, this word submission, it's so funny. People miss the point a lot of times when it comes to the idea of submission, right? Look, submission is easy when we agree, right? That's not submission. Submission only matters because there is disagreement sometimes, right? So if someone says, well, I'll be submitted as long as we agree, as long as I agree with you, that means exactly deadly squat, you just said nothing. I'll be submitted as long as we agree. Submission is what solves our disagreements quickly and easily. It's what solves them. See, there's communication. There's understanding. There's listening, which I'm bad at, right? But I'm trying. Listening to each other. Humbling ourselves. That is the picture of the church when we're doing it right. That's the picture of the church when we're doing it right. Submission creates instant unity. These are biblical concepts. Biblical concepts. So when Paul speaks of a divisive person, it's what happens when a person's heart becomes bent and petty, and they want to quarrel and stir up dissension because they get some twisted pleasure out of drama. These folks have to be dealt with quickly and in love and in grace, but also truth. You have to be dealt quickly. Why? Because we have to value our unity too much to allow the devil to divide us. I'm telling you, church, I'm giving, I'm giving, you, I'm giving you a secret to explosive growth here, okay? We have to value our unity too much to allow the devil to divide us. I want to give you four takeaways from all this. Just, I know I've been saying a lot of words, words, words. Let me give you four takeaways. These, these are absolutely crucial to us, for us to understand, Generations Church, to understand if we're, as we're, to, for you to understand where we're going as a church. I want you to know this, so write these down if you, you know, don't want to just show up today. Write these down. Here we go. Number one, Satan fears our unity, and he actively works to divide us. Satan fears our unity. It's what he fears. In Luke 11, Jesus said, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And any house divided against itself will fall. It's a house with no integrity. You know, integrity, like when they talk about a building or a house or something, or a car or something, it has integrity. It's built together. It fits together. It's like unibody. It, 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 if it, any house divided against itself will fall. Notice this. The tactic of the enemy is always to divide and conquer. Everybody heard that phrase? Divide and conquer. That's the tactic of the enemy, divide and conquer. He wants to divide you away from the group and then conquer you, right? Call you from the herd and then conquer you. Divide and conquer. It's, what, it's always his tactic. It, it's, it's so pathetically monotonous and repetitive. He does it every time, and every time we see somebody, their, their lives just go into ruin because of their choices and things like that. We see it so often, it's heartbreaking because they've allowed the devil to divide and conquer. The tactic of God is always to unite and conquer, right? Together, we storm the gates of hell, right? It's not a bunch of mercenaries going out there storming the gates of hell. Together, we storm the gates of hell. Unite and conquer. That is God's MO. 
Number two, everybody with me? Okay, cool, cool. Supernatural power, we all want that. We want it to fall here in Generation Church. It only shows up when the saints are unified. Unified. Acts 2.1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They were all, what? Together in one place. Sounding, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house they, where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, the real miracle here of Pentecost, the miracle here wasn't about the light show and the fireworks. That wasn't really the miracle. The miracle was the unity. Pentecost was able to happen because they were in an atmosphere of unity. Finally. Because they were all being in one accord. They were being one. In one accord, in one place, with one mission. They were together. They were in unity. And the Holy Spirit fell in a way that had never fallen in the history of the universe. Right? Look at Acts 4. He says, all the believers were what? One in heart and mind, that's right. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. All the believers were one in heart and mind, and the power fell. So one of the things we heard when we were on this little, uh, at this uh, getaway last week, Robert Morris, he's a pastor up in Dallas, I love him anyway. Um, he said this. He said, people are always asking, where are the miracles of the past? And he says, the first question ought to be, where's the unity of the past? You want miracles, where's the unity? Where is the unity? Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Don't raise your hand, but I, I'm just asking you a hypothetical question. We're in Texas, and so I'm guessing more than a handful of you are packing some heat this morning. I know, we got, we got a lot of, like, grandmothers with a Ruger in her purse um, out there. I, I think about half of our ushers are ready to take somebody down if they, <laughs> right? This is Texas. I, I, always, I always think, man, I, I pity the fool that tries to start something in this church. This is going to be the last mistake they ever make. Um, in love and grace, they are going to get killed. In Jesus' name. Um, Anyway, so I, I'm guessing there's quite a few uh, CHL car carriers out there. Let me ask you, people who know something about guns more than I do, what happens if I take, if I were to try to take a high-powered bullet and, and fire it in a really cheaply made gun? It could explode in my face, right? That would be a bad thing. That would be really bad. See, here, here's some truth we need to understand. If you give power to something without integrity, you destroy it. Power given to something without integrity will, will blow it up, will destroy it. God knows this. If you give power to something with integrity, something unified, you propel it forward, right? What do we want to be? Without unity, we couldn't handle the move of God in this place without unity. But if we'll keep committing to walking in unity, then the move of God will keep showing up. He will be a blessing.
to us, and we'll get to be a testimony to the world for him through our unity. All right, number three. Number three, take away, take home. Here we go. Number three, unity never occurs by accident. Have you ever noticed when you wake up in the morning, uh, you, were born, you and I were both born with a default setting, like a computer that wakes up, ding, and it never wakes up and says, unity. <laughs> no, right? We were born with a default setting when we wake up in the morning, and it says, me first, right? <laughs> That's it. I mean, it's because we're human. So it requires living intentionally to walk in unity. This isn't just going to happen by accident. Ephesians says this in Ephesians. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Okay, right there, just stop. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Then he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That phrase, make every effort, it's this big, long Greek word that means be eager, zealous, and swift, right? It's a very active word, right? Make every effort, eager, zealous, swift, to keep the unity of the Spirit, right? So we have to work at this, right? We have to bear with one another in love. Unity doesn't, isn't just some kind of pie-in-the-sky utopia that just happens because we're so super awesome and easy to love, right? It's not just going to happen. I know, I know I require like supernatural patience from some of you, and I'm sorry, I know it's true, but unity requires daily diligence on our part and submitting and walking in the Spirit, because we can't do it without Him, right? We can't just like work really hard to be unified. We need the Holy Spirit to help us, but it does require a decision from us. It requires a daily decision and to be diligent about that. Okay, number four. This is, number four, this is the last one. And uh, Jesus be with me. Here we go. Unity happens when we're more passionate about being one than being right. We've got to be more passionate about being one than being right. One of the fatal flaws in the body of Christ today is that we are obsessed with being right and we put little value on being unified. To paraphrase Jesus, we should have done the one and not neglect the other. We put little value on being unified. Now, I'm not only talking about our private dealings with each other, but also in our spiritual walk together. Let me, let me remind you what I mean. Remember what we read in Titus 3 just a few minutes ago. Avoid foolish controversies, foolish quarrels, because they're unprofitable. So when it comes to things like that I would consider non-essential doctrines. Non-essential, you know what I mean by non-essential doctrines. I'm not talking about heresy or sin or abuse or things like that. Non-essential doctrines. Uh, I cannot insist, me, Scott Hale, cannot insist on absolute conformity in this room to my desires and my opinions and expect Generations Church to walk in unity. I can't do that, right? Because I'm going to lose about 70% of you. I'll be left with 30% of you that agree with everything I say. So I, I, I'm not talking, like I said, I'm not talking about heresy or sin or abuse, things like that. I'm talking about these pet issues that we all get obsessed with arguing over. Little pet issues. You know what I'm talking about, right? And 99% of the time, you know what I found? These people who, who want to argue and argue and argue about these pet issues, 99% of the time, if you ask them, who, who have you led to the Lord this year? 
Who are you discipling right now? Their answer is nobody. You know, I, I, I don't have time for it. I don't have time for it. I love you, but there's a world dying out there, right? There's a world dying. So I've made a decision. I am not going to sweat and fret over the non-essentials that separate us. I'm not saying they're not important. I'm not saying those issues aren't important, but I'm not going to let them separate us, okay? Here's what I believe. I believe this with my whole heart. Relationships are always more important than issues. Relationships are always more important than issues. And if you don't believe me, let me, I, I would ask you, how's your marriage doing? What's the secret to staying married? Is it winning every argument? Making sure your wife agrees with all of your decisions? Is that how you stay married? <laughs> That's hilarious, right? No, is it maybe mutual submission? Is that a pretty good, good way to start having a good marriage? Yeah. You know, if, if my wife and I are having a, a disagreement, something you know, more important than breakfast tacos, if we're having a real, a real issue, there's something going on, the most important thing we do, the most important thing we do is right off the bat, we establish right off the bat, you are not my problem. You are not my problem. You are my partner. This thing we're wrestling with is a problem, but I'm committed to you. I'm not committed to this thing. This is an issue. This is a problem. You are never my problem. And at the end of the day, I'd rather give up winning this argument than give up you. Are we that way with each other in this room? I'd rather give up winning this argument than give up you. I'm committing to you that that's true for me. So we can sit, and we can go, and we can have coffee, and we can banter about different things, about the role of government. Yeah, that's great. End times, it's eschatology. Let's go for it. What do we do with the refugees? Man, everybody's asking that right now. But you know what? I refuse to let those things be a litmus test for whether you and I can walk in unity. I'm just not going to do it. Amen. So those issues matter. I didn't say they didn't matter. Just like Paul told these ladies, he didn't tell them, your issue doesn't matter, but there's something more important. It just doesn't matter enough to sacrifice my relationship with you. And if we wrangle about every little issue, we will forfeit the anointing of God in our homes and in our church. I'm not willing to let that happen. And you know what? And what's really sad is in the process, absolutely nobody's life will get changed if we're not one. If we are not one. So, well, praise God. Hallelujah. In a few minutes, we're going to perform one of the greatest acts of unity that the church can do. We're going to take communion together. And, and this isn't some mindless ritual. I want you to keep this in mind. Communion isn't a mindless ritual that we just have to do once a month because it's on the calendar. Communion, we have to have this. We need this to remind us of who we are, that we are part of a whole new worldview. We, let's face it, living in relationship with each other, you and me, living in relationship with each other isn't always going to be easy, is it? It's not always going to be easy. We have a vision at this church. The vision we have here at Generations to be people who are walking in community, being changed by God to change the world. Uh, you know what? To live that out is going to be sometimes uncomfortable. It's going to be unsettling to your flesh. It's going to mean being a church where no one walks alone. 
And if, if you want to be in a church where no one walks alone, you know what that's going to require? You to cross the aisle outside your comfort zone. You're going to have to make yourself open to other people who look really weird to you. <laughs> and you're going to have to go over there and walk in community together. One of our core values, one of our core values out there in the hallway is that we live in each other's stories. So it's not always easy. So how do we keep church from feeling more like a, a pressure cooker? We have to love everybody. And we have to keep loving everybody. We have to walk in humility. We have to be mutually submitted, walk in humility. And we have to forgive over and over and over and over. Love, humility, forgiveness. If Paul, if Paul were writing this letter today, if we just, we just got the new letter to Generations Church from Paul, and he got to this verse, this is what he'd say. He'd say, guys, I beg you, walk in love, walk in humility, walk in forgiveness. See each other through the lens of Jesus. That, that transforms the ugly and the painful into the new and the beautiful. That lens that we see through. That is the secret to living in unity as a community, as a church, and living with relentless joy in your own life. Amen? And all God's people said, amen. As our prayer partners are coming forward this morning, I just want to encourage all of you uh, to, to go forth out of here. Be people of unity. Make that decision each and every day to walk in love and grace and truth. Go forth, walk in unity. Bye-bye.